It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. Disunited as Ralph from the South stuns old boss Rangnick with a stinging rebuke. When they lose the ball, that the reverse gear is not always the best from everybody. The more they are cheating then uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the first line and then, and then you can play over this first line and then you have... Yeah, I have space then, and you have then the chance to, to create something. And Conte Quandry, Sam Ellard joins us from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to talk booze and goalkeeping blues. Everton deliver a top performance, Liverpool and City win again, and Newcastle burn Aston Villa. Plus, Fox's Rogers has set pieces, said Leicester up Dawson's Creek. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, Darren Lewis, how are you? I'm very well, Fox's Rogers. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it's a perfect time to have you in our little pod, isn't it? Because it's Valentine's Day and Alex Crook is here as well. Who's feeling the love this weekend? Can you say something a little bit sort of, you know, deep and meaningful to me just to get me through the morning? No, not really. I can't wait for the season to end from a Manchester United perspective. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the guy with a really good voice. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, listen to it. I mean, oh, dear, oh, dear. There are lovers everywhere going, where is that guy? Where, I need him in my life today. Um, uh, did you have a good weekend? Uh, what, 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 what got your heart beating fast this weekend, Darren? I've got to tell you, Wolves did this weekend because they were really impressive. Still got that very impressive defensive record, second in the Premier League behind... Manchester City and I've been saying for a couple of weeks now that I think they're a good bet for the top four yeah Crookie said the same thing in the midweek and 20 minutes later they lost to Arsenal um but he's back on the train again now aren't you I just think nobody else seems to want to finish in the top four you look at Tottenham uh, on Sunday you look at Manchester United at home to Southampton you look at West Ham who needed a late equaliser against an out of form Leicester team Arsenal still flaky for me. What we know about Wolves is they might not score too many goals, but they don't concede too many either. And I think quietly, Bruno Large is one of the managerial success stories of the season so far. I thought Everton were excellent. Good, fast front football um, and great result this weekend for them. That leaves the bottom four looking a little bit stranded. Although three in a row for Newcastle means Eddie is already in Toon's hearts. But let's get started with the heartbroken. They come now trying to create something with Adams into the penalty area. Hitting the inside of the post with a brilliant effort, right-footed and in. 
and history is repeating itself once again with Manchester United taking a lead in the first half and very quickly succumbing to an equaliser in the second. It's award season at the moment. The nominees, the never-ending story, Groundhog Day, the Muppets. They think they're Hollywood. They're more like Hollyoaks. He didn't change anything. The game was going away from him. There was a lot of possession and chances from Southampton. When he took over, Ralph Rangnick, we was informed that he was this disciplinarian, that this this teacher to the, the, the fantastic coaches we've got in the Premier League. It's just not worked. Manchester United won, Southampton won. I'm not going to keep flashing up the warnings we gave when Ralph Rannick was appointed, so we'll probably talk more about the United players today in their third draw in a row as far as 90-minute football is concerned. Southampton, on the other hand, have only lost one of their last 10 games. They were terrific. But Ralph Hasenhutl had some stinging criticism for Manchester United after the game. It's no secret, he said, that when they lose the ball, that the reverse gears are not the best from everybody. Two things about this, gentlemen. Um, One is that, is that the right thing to say? And should a manager of a rival club criticise so openly their opponents? I think it it also proves that they aren't cuddly colleagues. And actually, let's put it out there, and this is the second point, really, that I think the German coaches in the group were paying lip service when they were asked if Rangnick was the godfather of German Gengen pressing when he was appointed, and they all showered him with praise. In fact, Alex, I think they're delighted with him being the United boss. Yeah, I think there's certainly some semblance of truth in that. I think as a journalist it would be wrong of me to condemn somebody for giving an honest opinion and an honest answer to a question. Ralph Hasenhutl uh, always does that. Some people might say he talks too much. I think there was certainly an accusation when he was leading the charge about players uh, not being allowed to be registered for rearranged games if they weren't signed before the transfer window. But I think really, let's turn it back to a Manchester United perspective. Uh, a, yes, he's probably highlighting the deficiencies when it comes to Ralph Rangnick as a manager. We've spoken a lot about that. I think you and I, Sam, both believe that he isn't the right man to turn Manchester United around. But as you say, let's focus on the players this week because it can't just be uh, the man in the dugout that's causing the problems. And when an opposition manager comes out and effectively says that you don't work hard enough, uh, I think that is uh, that is alarm bells ringing very loudly. I had a big rant about this, for want of a better word, on the boot room on Sunday night. I think this is a very unlikable group of Manchester United players. I think there's a self-entitlement about them. I think there's a lack of character. I think there's a lack of determination, a lack of attitude. Everything, really, that you can't say about Southampton. And I, I always, maybe this is a bit simplistic, but I always look at a set of footballers and would you would you like to go for a pint with a particular player. Would I like to go for a pint with Carl Walker-Peters? I think I probably would. Would I have a pint with Armando Broger and James Ward-Prowse? I quite fancy that on a Sunday night. If this group of Manchester United players were sat in my local pub and I walked in the door and I love a pub, I'd walk straight back out again. I can't stand any of them. I mean, also, that would be a real issue because they'd be in completely the wrong place. Because even (laughs) though you're a big Manchester United fan, you do live about 300 miles away from Old Trafford. Um, Look... There weren't many things to like about Manchester United, but the burgeoning relationship with Shaw and Sancho uh, that created the first chance for Ronaldo when he should have scored, when he went round the goalkeeper and didn't have any conviction in his shot was certainly one thing to to like. And Sancho was United's best player, which was no surprise to me because I think over the last couple of weeks we've been seeing that develop. But there was so much to dislike about Manchester United too, Darren. And it started from the moment they scored the goal. 
because it was almost like at that moment they didn't know how to deal with the lead. A switch went off and they went to pieces the moment they conceded three minutes after half time. They were predictable. They had a lack of tactical discipline. I mean, there were a couple of incidents and we highlighted it during commentary. Rashford failing to chase back, looking lethargic, trying to get back and help out. Pogba, the same. Luke Shaw, under pressure, crumbling. Dreadful, really, at times. Yeah, uh, the third time, as you say, that it's happened uh, in a row. The fifth time under Rangnick, the ninth time it's happened this season that they've taken the lead and failed to win. And one stat that damns them in particular is the fact that Southampton ran three miles more and yet they had a day less to prepare. And that tells you everything. We talk about Harsen Hoodle and ask whether he was right or wrong to say what he did about United. But in fact, he underlined what most managers think in the Premier League. The word is out. Man United are easy to play against. They will only excel, if you like, for 45 minutes to an hour, but they will give you a chance to get back into the game when you play against them. Yeah, um, Crook and I exchanged a few messages last uh, night, Saturday night, about this. And I was saying, the problem you've got now is, is that a good team can go to Manchester United and give them a really great game. You don't have to be a great team to give them a good game because Manchester United are just not at that level. I just wonder what, Crookie, you think it does for Manchester United's Champions League hopes. I mean, it obviously significantly damages them. But obviously on Sunday, Tottenham then put themselves into a, a difficult position once again. I mean, the, the problem, I suppose, is that these fixtures are the ones in which they were supposed to be bulking. The 12 that Ranić has been in charge of. This is where you build. It's bulking season for Manchester United. You pile on the points against Burnley, West Ham, Wolves, Southampton, Villa, Brentford. But they haven't. They've actually lost ground during that time. So what happens when they play City, Tottenham and Liverpool in the next month? Well, if you're commentating the game against Manchester City, I'd suggest you take a calculator. Um, This might not be a popular opinion amongst Manchester United fans, but there's a small part of me that kind of hopes they don't finish in the top four because if they do and therefore get Champions League football next season, it papers over the cracks. It might make the Glazer family believe that this group of players have the right attitude and the right ability to take the club forward. They don't. I think it needs a massive overhaul. If you go through the 11 that played at the weekend, there's very few of them that I would like to keep at the club long-term, to be honest. I think Harry Maguire now uh, needs to be moved on. I think Ralph Ranić is aware of that and maybe actually had Victor Lindelof uh, not got injured, then Maguire would probably still find himself on the bench. Luke Shaw's lack of fitness is a disgrace for a, a Premier League player in 2022. McTominay has no tactical awareness, so he's not uh, one for the future either. Cavani picks and chooses when he plays. Marcus Rashford has done wonderful things off the pitch but his performances on the pitch have been substandard for a long time now so he even needs to pull his finger out or he needs to be moved on and then you've got Ronaldo and we talked about this on the podcast at the end of last week that hasn't worked um, he's a player who can still come up with the big moments if you give him a chance on a 6.6 yards out he would take it because he's a fantastic goal scorer but he doesn't have the legs now to compete in the Premier League he's got away with it in the Champions League because the tempo is slower I think he should go in the summer as well and I think it needs a complete reset in these young players hungry uh, with desire and if that means forgetting about the top four and challenging for the Champions League for a couple of seasons then so be it because this group of players is going nowhere um, Ronaldo did fail to score again he's on his worst run of games without a goal for 13 years um, 
We should probably touch on Southampton, in particular, the save that Fraser Forster made right at the end of the game. I think I said in commentary, he looks as if he's got hands like frying pans. I mean, he didn't have to make too many saves, which I suppose in itself is a is, is a worry for Manchester United, Darren. But it, it was a super, super leap to his left and a great spoon away. And I think it was characteristic of the confidence in the uh, Southampton side held City to a point at the Etihad, beat Spurs at their own ground and then go to Manchester United and embarrass them. And I think now they're into the top half of the table. And if they can just keep this steady run going, they might have an outside chance of a European place. Hassan Hoodle has done great things with those players. They might not be celebrated names as individuals, but the sum of the parts to come together to make a really impressive team. Yeah, I think they still lack a few goals. Adams and Brozier both had chances during the match and didn't get to take them. Um, but you know, they were competitive in, in that match, more than competitive in that match. And they looked a more cohesive unit and team. I still think they're a bit too streaky. They go on streaks of winning and losing games, which is why I think maybe Europe might be a little bit beyond them this season. But they can have one hell of a go at the FA Cup when they take on, uh, I think they're playing West Ham, aren't they, in the FA Cup? Um, yep. last 16. Um, right, let's turn our attention to Burnley against Liverpool. Another victory for Jurgen Klopp's Reds. A narrow one by a goal to nil. Fabinho with the goal. The rest of the league really hoping that Liverpool can mount some sort of title charge, reinvigorate the race. I know Darren's told us time and time again that Manchester City should already have their coloured ribbons tied to the handles of the trophy. Uh, Crookie, you commentated on this match. What did you think of Liverpool? Uh, they weren't at their best and actually Burnley had some big chances uh, in the first half Valt Weghorst missed two of them and there was a one-on-one for Jay Rodriguez that he put straight at the goalkeeper Allison. I think once they got the goal just before half time, Burnley really frustrated to concede from a set piece. It was about game management then in the second half, and it never really felt like Burnley were going to get back in the game. Another clean sheet for Liverpool. I thought both Mo Salah and Sadio Mane looked a bit jaded after their exploits in the African Cup of Nations. I was a bit surprised that both started the game, actually. I thought it was harsh on Diogo Jota, who'd been playing particularly well uh, during their absence. But as you say, I think from a neutral perspective, it was a good result because we want to see a, a title race in the second half of the season. It's still a big gap to make up, but they've got a game in hand. They've still got to play Manchester City. But I think they're going to have to win pretty much every game, Liverpool, between now and the end of the season. What they do have is plenty of options now in that forward area. They've got basically five players to choose from. Jota did come on in the second half. Diaz left on the bench. It's a really strong Liverpool squad for Burnley. You just can't see a way back. They just can't score goals. Um, yeah, Diogo Jota and his absence really hurt my fantasy team again this week, which really upset me. Uh, but what does impress me about that Liverpool um squad is the size of it it's absolutely huge now I, I was speaking the other day about preparing for the FA Cup match against Cardiff and you have to look into 40 45 players because you never know which one of them he is going to pick and I think one of the great triumphs actually over the last year and it wasn't a great title defense from Liverpool we've spoken about that and we've spoken about the reasons behind it but one of the things it did do all the injuries and the problems that they had last year was help them promote a lot of youth players and fringe players, so they got a lot of first-team action. And some of those players have made a real contribution this season as well. And I think going forward, that's going to really help them. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, Harvey Elliott, well, he's a first-teamer, isn't he? Curtis Jones as well. Nico Williams is is really finding his stride. Uh, Cade uh, Gordon, 
looks like a fine player to look just in term, in relation to the Burnley victory nobody cares how you win as long as you win and I think if Liverpool go on to mount that challenge you know they win that game in hand it's six points if say for argument's sake Man United pull a result out of nowhere and beat City in the derby then by the time Liverpool play City assuming they win a lot of ifs I know in April then we could really have an exciting climax to the season. So nobody cares how you win as long as you win against the likes of Burnley. But those young players that you're talking about too, they give Klopp an added option. They give him a bit, little bit of X factor. They play without fear. And the FA Cup is really helping those players to get their confidence back in tough situations. Yeah, it gives them a little bit of ballast as well, doesn't it? It gives them cover in certain positions that maybe they didn't have before. I think Tyler Morton, obviously playing Champions League games over the course of the season, seriously helped his development as well. And just that injection of optimism and encouragement that Luis Diaz has brought to the group, I think gives Liverpool hope that maybe they could have quite a bright end to the season. Even if it's not in the Premier League, they're still chasing in the Champions League. They're still chasing in the FA Cup, which is rare. And of course, they've got the League Cup final to come. So there's a lot of fronts for them to fight on. Okay, let's look back at another game that happened this Sunday. Some booze down at the full-time whistle. It finishes Tottenham nil, Wolves 2. A massive win for Wolves in their bid for a top four finish. They go above Spurs into seventh. And as things stand, just three points behind fourth place West Ham, Bruno Large continues to do an excellent job in his first season at the club. As for Antonio Conte's side, it's now three league defeats in a row. They were truly shocking in the first half, especially defensively. Spurs huffed and puffed, but Wolves did just about enough to hold on for a massive three points. It finishes Tottenham nil, Wolves two. You had to work a lot, a lot, a lot to, to fight uh, for targets that, in my opinion, in this moment, uh, and not too realistic. Tottenham nil, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2. Sam Ellard was watching for Talk Sport and joins me from the stadium to discuss it. Sam, the Wolves have gone into seventh above Spurs and the Tottenham support were not happy, were they, at the end of the game? Boos at half-time, Sam, and there weren't that many boos at full-time because the majority of Spurs fans had already gone home. They were truly woeful in that first half, in particular defensively. Every time Hugo Lloris had the ball, they tried to play out from the back. And both goals came from Tottenham giving the ball away, playing out from the back. They were so, so sloppy. I thought Wolves went in at half-time 2-0 up, and I don't even think they played that well. They were clinical. They took their chances. They defended well. But Spurs, in particular, defensively, all over the place. They got better in the second half. They dominated uh, the second period. They created some decent chances. Harry Kane had a shot saved by Jose Sarr. Kulisevsky um, shot wide from close range. They huffed and puffed. They were better. But it felt as if throughout the whole game, Sam, that Wolves were pretty solid, pretty reliable. And that's a massive win now for Wolves, as you said, up to seventh in the table. And they're not too far off fourth place. Yeah, indeed. And they've struggled for goals all season, haven't they? But, they, I mean, they arrived at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Only Burnley and Norwich had scored fewer in the league. But two Hugo Lloris goalkeeping errors actually handed them goals. What 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 was going through his mind? What just describe to us what happened. Oh, Sam, for the first goal, I have absolutely no idea. So he, it was a, a shot from Ruben Neves. He probably could have caught it, but he pushed it away. It fell to Dendonka, whose shot was so tame, so tame. 
all he had to do was catch it. I have no idea. There was no one around him, no pressure on him. I have no idea why he punched it. He punched it straight to Jimenez, who's had a tough season. Brilliant control. It was an excellent finish. And again, the second goal, uh, as I mentioned there, playing out from the back, it was a terrible pass by Lloris that put Ben Davis under pressure. They gave the ball away and Wolves punished them. Yeah, really disappointing from him and for Antonio Conte. It's the first time that Antonio Conte has lost three league games in a row since his days managing mm. Atalanta back in November 2009. He's not going to be in a good mood. No, I mean, and I, 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 it's going to be fascinating, Sam, I think, to see where this Spurs team are going to be in a year's time. They've got a high-class coach who's won big trophies in some of the, the top leagues around, the, around, around Europe. But I think you take Kane and Son out of the Spurs team. There's not a lot of quality, in my opinion. And Spurs want to get back into the top four, of course, but they want to be competing for league titles like they were under Maurizio Pochettino. They need real work. They need bodies in, good players in, and a lot of good players in. And I just wonder if he doesn't get those players soon, is he going to hang around and try and compete with the likes of Liverpool and City, even Chelsea? Um, I'm not so sure because, you know, you look at today, Wolves, they look such a better team, better coached, more organised, they were good on the counter-attack. And I've seen Spurs, even the games they were winning when Conte first came in, I don't think they were playing well. There's not a lot of quality here. They need real work in the summer and a lot a lot of new players in. Yeah, Harry Kane, another poor performance from him. Where Was, was, the, was the service a problem? Was he not getting chances? Was he missing chances? First half, there was no service. Spurs gave the ball away, Sam. So many occasions in midfield. They were so, so sloppy. Um, so we didn't really get a lot of service. I thought second half, we dropped a little bit deeper to try and get involved. They also changed the system as well. Uh, midway through the first half, they went for a 4-2-3-1. Sessegnon came off. Kulazewski came on. He was better in the second half. As I said, he saw more of the ball. He only really had one chance. He was played through by Son. Shot of the near post at Jose Sarr. But um, all in all, I, I still think I go back to the midfield. I mentioned there, Sam, about new bodies need to come in. The one type of player they need is a ball play midfielder. Too often I've come here this season. I think it's too safe. It's sideways passes, backward passes. I think someone in midfield who can get the ball up to the attackers quickly is a position that Spurs really need to strengthen in the summer. Sam, thank you very much for joining us. Take care, Sam. Have a good week, mate. That's Tottenham. What about West Ham, who also dropped points this weekend? Still trying to chase for a position in the top four. No one wants it, apart from Arsenal. Um, their week of controversy ended with some great relief after Craig Dawson scored a very late equaliser in this game, earning a 2-2 draw at Leicester after Kurt Zuma pulled out in the warm-up at the King Power Stadium. Dawson salvaging a point in the first minute of time added on after Jared Bowen put the hammers ahead. But Yuri Tielemann's 45-minute penalty equalised before Ricardo Pereira's header appeared to clinch Leicester's first win in five in all competition. But it's the same old story for Leicester, isn't it? It's set pieces that kill them, Darren. Yes, it is. They've conceded the most in the Premier League so far this season. They seem to switch off. No one seems to sense danger. No one seems to want to even win that first ball at the near post. And if they're going to improve, I think they're going to need a lot of work on the training ground in midweek. They've, uh, they're, they're a side, really, that show that they are fighting for uh, Brendan Rodgers. But I think in general terms, I, I, I look, they've got a Europa Conference League game in midweek and it's a perfect opportunity at home maybe to work on being better at set pieces because next weekend they host Leicester. Uh, sorry, they, they are away because next weekend they are away to Wolves and Wolves 
I saw them, listen, ahead of recording this, I saw them beat Spurs. They were very accomplished, very good from set pieces. And they are a side that will hurt Leicester if they play at the back, anything like they did against West Ham. Yeah, and look, they'll scent that they can hunt down the foxes, won't they, the wolves? Uh, because um, you talk about training ground problems but uh, and, and dealing with the set-piece issue on the training ground, but I think that's actually one of the issues. Wes Morgan was talking about this earlier in the week. He was saying, you know, maybe, maybe you're spending too much time worrying about the set-pieces and then you're second-guessing yourself when you're in that situation because in the back of your mind you're going, we're going to concede again from a, another set-piece. It's happened so often. But they do also give away far too many shots on target. And in that first 10 minutes of the game, Crookie, just one straight ball over the top from Mr. Diop, who wasn't even supposed to be playing, ends up landing at the feet of Jared Bowen and all of a sudden, bang. Yeah, it was a brilliant finish from from Jared Bowen. Another goal and assists for him today. I mean, he's, he's got to be one of the most informed players in the Premier League at this moment in time. But, I think for West Ham, it is two points dropped. I know that seems churlish when they've scored a, a stoppage time equaliser, but what I think it highlighted was the, the lack of squad depth as a result of sitting on their hands in that January transfer window. I know the owners have taken a lot of stick from callers on Talk Sport, and, and probably rightly so, because we've mentioned nobody seems to want to finish in the top four. This is a huge opportunity for West Ham, the like of which they might not get again, because we have to expect United, Tottenham and Arsenal all to improve next season. I think Newcastle will be part of the conversation because they're going to stay up easily now and will spend money in the summer. And as the season uh, drags on here, they've got the FA Cup game you mentioned against Southampton. They've got the Europa League, a competition they took very seriously. That lack of squad depth, that lack of an alternative for Mikel Antonio and at the back as well, where they probably wouldn't have really wanted to play Diop on Sunday, that will come back and hurt them. But in the end... I think once once we get to sort of March and April, we won't be talking about West Ham as part of the conversation for the top four. And that's a shame. Um, Leicester got back into the game after Aaron Cresswell gave away a ridiculous handball. What was he doing there? I mean, it just did he just misjudge the flight of the ball, or or was he? I don't know. Was he using his body to try and get in the way of the ball? It was a very strange thing to do. Yeah, I think it was he misjudged the flight of the ball. He went to go with his head, and then he kind of instinctively stuck out his shoulder, and the ball hit his arm, um, and he'll be gutted with that. I know you guys give me a lot of stick about it, but generally West Ham are, are fairly decent at the back. I won't say brilliant because I know you guys clean will sheets. probably chase are we, me are down. We talking, are we talking clean sheets, yeah? There you go. I teed you up and you didn't disappoint. But I think in general <laughs> terms, <laughs> I think in general terms at the back, they're very good. I agree with Crook. It's a real shame. They've missed an opportunity. The teams around them have got firepower but they're either inconsistent or just as bad as Leicester at the back and so this was a real chance Mikel Antonio scored two goals in four months you need to get some fresh blood in there to give them a chance of getting their feet under the table and making a contribution and they've not done that so it's a huge gamble to have just one striker and I'm not sure it's going to pay off yeah I mean the last uh, two clean sheets have been against Norwich and Watford um, prior to that, 12th of December against Burnley. Um, but their scorelines are pretty binary, like you say. They don't score that many and they don't let in that many at the moment. So it was a bit of a surprise that it was 2-2 today because that goes against the current trend. Um, and, and that sort of solidity that they have built up has certainly come about because of Zuma and Dawson playing together uh, in that back four, which has really sort of helped David Moyes mount a charge for the top four. 
I'm not sure they are going to be able to sustain it really. And I'm really sort of sad about that because I think they're a side that you want to triumph. I mean, obviously take aside everything you've seen over the last sort of last week or so, but they're a side you want to support. You want to, you, you want to give a pat on the back to because they've done a, a very good job in trying circumstances. And when David Moyes walked back in the door, I don't think anybody really believed that this is what they would be chasing. So it's a shame that it seems to be sort of crumbling around their ears now. Um, talk to me about um, Leicester. Were there any signs of improvement from them, Crookie? I mean, I, Patson Dacker, I thought, was in terrific form in terms of chasing things down and causing problems for the back line. He's incredibly... Sp- I mean, actually, I think it was Virgil van Dijk who said he's crazy quick. He is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I think it was a better performance from Leicester. Obviously, they'll be frustrated that their Achilles heel has, has haunted them again. We had a lot of Leicester fans call in on Sunday night, not happy with the decision to bring on Yannick Vestergaard and, and go to a back three to try and see out the win. Listen, again, they've had injury problems. I know that, but I've said before, you can't rely on Johnny Evans now to stay fit. Hopefully for them, uh, Fafana might be back before the end of the season. That will be a boost. Yuri Tillemans on the score sheet, but I think we know he's going to leave in the summer. And it was a terrific header. Uh, to take the lead, a wonderful header. So th- there are reasons to be positive, but still a lot of Leicester City fans are not happy with Brendan Rodgers at this moment in time. A lot of Everton fans with smiles on their faces. That hasn't happened much this season, but they beat Leeds convincingly on Saturday by three goals to nil. And the key thing about the Everton win is its importance to the overall picture at the bottom, Darren. They dragged themselves to within a point of Leeds with a game in hand, and they harnessed the power of the crowd. They played good football at pace and intensity and were well worth their win. Yeah, I think the words pace and intensity are key because I watched the match and I thought they were terrific, uh, particularly in midfield. Alex Uwobi was outstanding. Uh, Van der Beek, uh, he will have had a really good breakfast this morning and enjoyed the Sunday papers for the first time in 18 months, I'd imagine, because he was outstanding too. Um, It was just a, a... a performance of energy, dynamism. It was a performance of confidence. Leeds had no answer and the goals are well-deserved. There was a moment too at the end of the game, towards the end of the game, Deli Alley on the right-hand side curls a first-time ball in. Had Wondon scored with a volley instead of it going yeah. just wide of the far post, it would have been an outstanding goal. I, I think that... Lampard has brought back a fantastic energy to the Everton side. Two wins from three games now. If you can keep a good run going, the confidence will start to come back to Goodison Park, I think. I think you're absolutely right about that sumptuous ball that Deli Alley played in towards Salomon Rondon. I thought that was absolutely exquisite. And Donny van der Beek played well as well. And they switched to a back four for this game. Remember... You've got, to, you've got to, This is the back, off the back of four straight defeats for Everton too. And they're without Mina, who's injured. Godfrey, who's had problems as well. I suppose giving Michael Keane his confidence back was always going to be the key. And he, he popped up with a goal from a set piece as well, Crookie. Yeah, they've got too much quality, Everton, to, to be seriously talked about as, as relegation candidates. But I think we might see two different Everton sides in the next few weeks. The one that play at home that you mentioned can harness the power of that Goodison Park crown. There is a, a feel-good factor around the appointment of Frank Lampard. And that team on their travels that maybe is a little bit more uh, vulnerable but I wanted to mention Leeds as well producer Jeremy is sat opposite me glum faced because he's a big Leeds fan he doesn't understand the decision to take off Rafinha uh, during that game I'm not sure I do either certainly the player himself looked a bit puzzled and I think in any other season Leeds fans will be looking nervously over their shoulders right now 
they're not going to go down because you just can't see uh, those three bottom teams, Norwich, Watford and Burnley, picking up enough points to close the gap. But it has been a largely forgettable season for Leeds. And I think, again, there's going to be a sea change. There's going to be a bit of a clear out at the end of the season. That may well include Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Darren. Do you think that's going to happen at the end of the campaign, Bielsa to move on? Because he is in odd territory in, in that he's been there for longer than he's been anywhere else in his entire career. Yeah, I do. Um, two wins from their last 10 games. I think the way that he likes to play, it's expansive, it's entertaining to watch, but he's very taxing on the players. Uh, there are lots and lots of injuries there. I know the fans don't like it when you say that it's hard to keep up that intensity, but it is costing them. And I think as far as their better players are concerned, big clubs, even middle ranking clubs are going to come in for them, just like West Ham did in January. I'll expect people to come in for Rafinha, for Phillips, um, and maybe even for the likes of Jack Harrison as well in the summer, because Leeds right now, they should be building, but at the moment, they're kind of keeping the walls from the door. Um, Richarlison's goal, the third one in the match, Brilliant finish, or so we thought. It's actually been given to Anthony Gordon now for a little flick that he <laughs> had in front of the goalkeeper. Are we having that? Is that is that right? I mean, Richarlison's done all the hard work. Well, <laughs> if the last touch was off Gordon, then it is his goal. I'm sure there would have been some discussion about that in the dressing room afterwards. But actually, I feel like Gordon deserved his goal because I think he was one of the standout players uh, for Everton. On the day, and what we know about Frank Lampard, we've seen it at Chelsea and at Derby to a certain extent, is that he he is happy to put his faith in young players. He's a, a coach who develops young players, and I think Anthony Gordon may well be one of the beneficiaries of that. But we know that Richarlison is uh, not always the most upbeat character, can be a bit sulky. I'm sure he was very grumpy when he found out that wasn't his goal after all. Uh, let's move on to Norwich against Manchester City. Norwich uh, beaten once again by City and again by some margin. In the end, it was 4-0 to the reigning champions. Yes, Norwich had a bit of a go in the game, but not even the sight of Angus Gunn saving a penalty could stop Raheem Sterling from going home happy, Darren. No, not at all. Uh, too much quality in the City side. 43 points from the last 45 available they've taken Sterling I think that's his seventh career penalty uh, hat-trick uh, and the finish with just so much confidence about it um what can we say about City that we haven't already said before I know that's Brilliant. a little bit of an issue isn't it because I was sitting here writing the talking points for this particular game and I thought you know even Pep Guardiola comes out afterwards Darren and says we have to keep doing our job and we did it again there's a sort of professional ruthlessness about them that has been their hallmark for, what, four or five years now that just shows no sign of abating. Yeah, a friend of mine said that Guardiola's turned the Premier League into the Bundesliga uh, because he's managed to dominate so completely with one team, even though the Premier League is so much more competitive than the Bundesliga. I know people might say, well, hang on a minute, Bochum beat Bayern Munich at the weekend. But in general terms, Bayern Munich normally win by 400 points. I think mm. as far as the Premier League is concerned, it's very different. And I just think what we're all holding on to is the idea that those six, those that game in hand that Liverpool have, that they can take it down to six points and then it will literally be a case of whether City blink first or not. I, I, clearly, it doesn't look as though they will, but you can never say that in February. They're fantastic at the back. They're fantastic up front. He has really done so, so well without a striker. 
And I, I think that, well, you know what I think. I think they're going to win the league anyway. I'm, I've already resigned myself to it. I think um, it says it all you need to know, Sam, sorry, about Manchester City. I think it says all you need to know about Manchester City that Liverpool have lost two of their last 46 games in all competitions and they're still well adrift of the champions. And I'm now starting to believe, and it pains me to say it, this might just be the best team that we've ever seen in the Premier League. Um, is this like really painful for you, Crookie? Because you're in a situation where Manchester City are probably going to win the title. And if they're not going to win the title, you've got to cheer on Liverpool just to make it a contest. Well, I've been used to that over the last few years. But yeah, I think it does heighten the gloom amongst Manchester United supporters. But what <laughs> you have to watches say is... Crookie watches Liverpool when he wants to see good football, don't you, Crookie? <laughs> <laughs> no, but what you have to say is that they're two brilliantly run football clubs and Manchester United aren't at this moment in time. And until they That's change from the top to bottom, point, it won't it? change. That's the key point. Those two football clubs, Manchester City, have a clear vision of how they want to play football, how they want to recruit. They have a, a man in charge at the top of the organisation in Ferran Soriano, who's who's the overlord. And they've got people in places to do recruitment and, and, and the right sort of scouting to, to find new recruits. Liverpool are the same. have got a fantastic leadership group above the manager. Yes, he has the final say on transfers, as Pep Guardiola does, but they do all the work. They do loads and loads of donkey work so that he can concentrate on coaching the football team. And there's a clear philosophy about how both teams want to play. And that's why you can bring players in from youth teams at Liverpool and at Manchester City. And it doesn't affect the style and often the quality of what they produce. They're two different case studies, really, because obviously Manchester City's success is built on their takeover and the fact that they can outspend most teams on the planet. But you still have to sign the right players and get the right infrastructure in place. They did that. I think if you look at Liverpool, they were where Manchester United are now for a long time and they were living in the past a bit. They were living off their former glories and they really had to almost start again and have a complete cultural reset to become the football club they are now and I think again it pains me to say it but Manchester United need to follow that Liverpool blueprint and stop living in the past It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go.
Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, I, I would add to that fact that there is a discipline about City and Liverpool that United don't have. City and Liverpool don't indulge their players. Uh, United do. City and Liverpool don't buy players for commercial reasons. United do. City and Liverpool have guys who manage up as well as down, whereas at United they bring in yes-men. Solskjaer, yes-man. Uh, Rangnick, pretty much a yes-man. Somebody's going to go upstairs and it just there is an authority of, about the managers at City and Liverpool. You would never get a situation where the manager says something about why a player isn't playing and the player goes onto social media and says something completely different, like Lingard has done and like Martial did. You would never get a... Wait, I correct myself. We did get one situation where Jordan Henderson challenged Jurgen Klopp after he was taken off in a match, we never saw it again because of that authority that Klopp has at that football club. We've not seen it with any other player. I was at Spurs today. I noticed every time Conti substituted a player, they were off within five seconds. You know, the, the top managers have an authority about them that Rangnick appears not to have from what I've seen so far at United. And one of the things that Sam Allard said during that piece that he did from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium earlier, Darren, was that he thought that maybe Conte might end up chucking it in at the end of the season if he doesn't get the new recruits that they clearly need. Do you think that could be the case? Yes, in a word. I don't think Conte is a man to mess about. I think he looks at that Spurs team. He sees that they need serious work. He is not going to tread water like the likes of Pochettino hanging in to see if Spurs are going to change. Spurs right now have to decide what kind of club they want to be. If they lose Conti in the summer, it would represent a PR disaster for the club because they can no longer turn around and say that they're ambitious when they've got the best manager they've ever had, arguably, in the Premier League era. A guy who's won more on his own than the club have won in the last 30 years. So I think it will be as binary as that. He will ask them if they're going to back him. If they do, he stays. If they don't, I think he'll leave. Legitimately, of course, they couldn't say that in a PR war, but they probably would because that's what Tottenham do. They, they, you know, they don't seem to mind about the flack that they get from supporters and from elsewhere because clearly they've they've gone over the last 20 years down the same road over and over again where they've sort of always end up being linked with players and managers or linked with a manager, bringing him in, don't give him what he wants, don't listen to what the manager asks for, like Pochettino towards the end of his reign and then land themselves in trouble. But they always coexist with sort of those teams that are finishing in fourth, fifth and sixth. And they think, well, you know what, that'll do. That'll pay the bills uh, for now. But certainly credibility consistently has been lost. Norwich City have built up a little bit more credibility, Crook, with their performances. They've been a little bit more threatening. We were talking about them and Manchester City and their defeat at the weekend. Uh, We deviated a little bit, but we mustn't leave that game without giving you the opportunity to talk about how much Dean Smith has improved them. Still lost 4 0, didn't they? Or was I watching a different game? <laughs> you didn't watch it. Don't tell me you watched the game. I know you didn't. There's no way you would have watched Norwich versus Man City yesterday, did you? I watched it after they went 1 0 down. Um, there's still four <laughs> points adrift of safety. They've got Liverpool away from home on Saturday. They'll lose that. And they go to Southampton on a Friday night. They'll lose that. Big game against Brentford. Leeds back to back in the middle of March. If they win both of those, I'll give them a fighting chance of staying up. As it is, I'm still planning on Norwich being very much a championship club next season. 
Okay, let's look at a team who very much have given themselves a fighting chance. Newcastle United. Understatement, massive, it really is. Newcastle 1, Aston Villa 0. Unrecognisable from when they started this second half of the season. Finished at St James's Park, Newcastle United 1, Aston Villa 0. No one probably predicted that we'd win three in a row. Now we have to make sure that we don't slip in our standards and our preparation and we know we're still very much in a relegation battle. Watford 0, Brighton 2. Brighton have been knocking at the door in the second half in their search for a second goal and they now thoroughly deserve to have extended their lead. My thoughts are that we weren't good enough to, to win it. I thought our first half performance was much worse than I was expecting it to be. Three wins in a row for Newcastle, taking them outside the bottom three and gives them a four-point cushion to Norwich with a game in hand. And they had tricky moments after losing both fullbacks on Sunday to injury, but they had an extra steal about them, didn't they? Even, Darren, in seven minutes of injury time, in no small part down to Dan Burns' influence. He was terrific, chortling away throughout the whole game. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about the win wasn't the goal up front. It was a clean sheet at the back. They're much more organised. They're much more... <sighs> there is much more leadership about the way that they play now. And they've got far more of a foundation to build on because of that work that they've done in the January transfer window. I think as far as the club are concerned, they can start to be optimistic about their plans because they're slowly pulling away from the bottom three. And you're right, Burns a leader he is providing the kind of thing they haven't had all season at St. James's Park. Who owes Eddie Howe an apology? Everyone! Shout it from the rooftops. The English press battered him when he got the job. He's not good enough. He's not got the right level of uh, uh, name or stature or prestige to manage a club that are going to go on and eventually win everything. Um, he's not even going to keep them up because he can't organise a defence. Well, I think maybe three wins in a row suggests that that isn't the case. He brought in Kieran Trippier. He gave him the captaincy. I mean, he was terrific in that first 45 minutes. I do hope the injury is not a long-term one. The goal was a deflected free kick, but his talent on the ball gives you an added weapon because although he is the one who strikes it and it takes a deflection, I think, of Buendia, Ultimately, it's because of that talent and him spotting and lining up the wall the way he did that the ball ends up in the net. I mean, it's a little bit naive on Aston Villa's part. I mean, Emi Martinez really should have tightened the wall up a little bit so that someone was behind those two Newcastle players that squeezed out the way and he fired it through the gap. But, you know, this is what he brings. This is the kind of thing that he brings, as well as that leadership to the back line, as Darren was talking about. Yeah, and I think already he is making the people, including our own Simon Jordan, that said he was only there for the money, eat their words. And if they do stay up, and they will stay up now, Newcastle, I think they could finish as high as 12th uh, looking at the teams that I still think they can reel in. This isn't just going to be a story of buying their way to survival. It's good old-fashioned coaching. I think a lot of people disrespected Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall, his assistant, and the rest of the team that they put together because they weren't a Hollywood name. It was suggested that maybe Eddie Howe's only previous experience of a relegation battle ended in going down with Bournemouth. That was simply untrue because by nature of the size of the club they were, they started every season in the Premier League in a relegation battle. And this is a manager who literally saved the club from going extinct. I'm delighted that they're proving people wrong. I know 
know a few Newcastle fans. I'm told the atmosphere in and around the city is absolutely buzzing at the moment. They feel like they've got their their club back, they've got their soul back. And I wish them all, all the success because it's great to see a young British manager uh, achieving and not just by splashing the cash. I, I've got to say, I agree with a lot of what you say in general terms, but I, I, I think Simon's right. There is no way Kieran Trippier rejects Manchester United as he did and goes to Newcastle without the money being a factor. I don't think it's a shameful thing. I don't think, you know, if, if you get offered two, three times your wages somewhere else, you're going to go. But let's not kid ourselves that a player as celebrated as Kieran Trippier goes to a club second from bottom in the Premier League without a win. I think they probably had one win at, at the time of his signing all season if the money is not involved. I don't think the other players quit the clubs, progressive clubs that they were at, the likes of Dan Byrne. I wouldn't necessarily say Chris Wood, but Dan Byrne, Guimarães, who had other offers to go to Newcastle unless the money is involved. They are getting handsomely rewarded. And I think Simon is right. As I say, nothing to be embarrassed about, but let's not lie about it. it, it that is the case. Yeah, well, they wouldn't be able to bid with uh, for Trippier or uh, Wood, for example, unless they had had the investment that they have been injected with. So obviously money does play a part in it. But I do think that Eddie himself was given a little bit of disrespect. And I think often his achievements at Bournemouth are overlooked yes. considerably by people who watch uh, Premier League football and, and clamour for some uh, random name of a manager that's done well in another league, for example. And we've seen even, you know, with the Manchester United interim boss, that's not always a great recipe for success. Um, Villa actually started to get a little bit frustrated towards the end of proceedings. Maybe that was because Newcastle are doing the streetwise things a little bit better. I think they should be given credit for that as well. But I think Villa will be disappointed to get just one point, Crookie, from Newcastle and Leeds United. Yeah, they're still a work in progress. I mean, you shot me down a few weeks ago when I said that they uh, weren't necessarily picking up the the, the number of points that fall in line with the plaudits that Steven Gerrard is getting. He's got a very good squad at his disposal. I think he's a manager who is still learning on the job, but it's difficult, isn't it? Obviously, there's more motivation for Newcastle. They're fighting for their Premier League lives. Aston Villa, in terms of points and what's at stake, haven't really got anything to play for. So I think at this business end of the season, you, you'll quite often see the teams who really need the win will come out on top. But... Um, I think that the offside goal was marginal and maybe Steven Gerrard will, will, will point to that. Yeah. I wasn't happy about that goal. I didn't think that that was, I thought that was too tight. I thought we'd got away from that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I think we were told at the start of the season those marginal decisions would probably go in favour of the attacker. Again, it's that consistency that we're not getting uh, at this moment in time. But there are a few Aston Villa players who need to play their way back into a bit of form. Molly Watkins, for one, and we talked about Southampton and Armando Brogia. I think at the moment, if you're looking at Danny Ings going to Aston Villa and Brogia going to Southampton on loan, then Southampton certainly came out on top in that particular transaction. Uh, OK, let's move on to Watford against uh, Brighton. Um, Brighton coming away with all three points. Crook sent me a message, Darren, late on Saturday night saying that he didn't believe that Neil Mopé <laughs> meant to score that goal. Um, I'm not entirely sure about that. I mean, I, I do wonder whether he meant to score right there, but he certainly point. went to score. Note to self, don't send Sam messages about football in the middle of the night because he'll use them on the pod. 
<laughs> I was just trying to show them I was doing my research. Well, you, it was a it was a bit of a shinner, wasn't it? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Listen, court, Adrian Durham, facetious, uh, came back to me on Twitter and said, "What well, was he trying to clear it?" No, clearly he wasn't. He was going for goal, but I don't think he meant for the ball to end up in the top corner. Well, to be fair to Sam Crook, if he's going for goal, or to be fair to you both, I think it's a mix of both because if he's going for goal and it goes in, then he meant it. It was a bit fluky. So, Bit fluky. He's a professional footballer. Funnily enough, he's been working on that technique for the last twenty-five years of his life. What scoring uh, with his shin? What, what maybe Rooney's overhead kick against Manchester United was scored with his shin, wasn't it? Yeah, that's uh, why Manchester Trevor Sinclair's will always be better. Um, Watford three games in. There's me banging on about uh, them having the best attack out of the lot at the bottom. Uh, but you have to give them the ball, Roy. Jeez, uh, I mean, uh, they're sometimes just a bit too pragmatic. Uh, Roy and Ray Lewington. Um, they haven't scored a goal under him yet, Darren. No, they haven't. And if it, if there were any other manager in charge, I'd say that was that. Um, I remember when he was at Fulham and they looked dead and buried. They lost a home game. And I remember a few of us journalists often talk about the, the one particular press conference when he said, like, I'm standing in front of you, tears in my eyes. It looks like we're going to go down, but we're going to fight all the way to the end. And he saved them. He saved them. And, and if there was a manager that can give players confidence from a seemingly impossible position, it is Roy Hodgson. So I, even though they haven't scored a goal under him yet, even though they've had a couple of bad defeats under him, even though they are, what is it, six points from safety, I, I still do give them a chance of getting out of that bottom three. Didn't, didn't they stay up with Fulham because Portsmouth didn't turn up on the last day of the season? Or didn't try, or something. Yeah. It was just like, or already had their flip flops on. And uh, Danny Murphy scored the only goal from a penalty spot. That's what I remember. Maybe it's not true, but he did do a very good job there. If you speak to Danny, Danny will tell you this is a guy who will relentlessly stick to his principles, and he'll get them over the line. If anyone's going to get them over the line, it will be him. Maybe it was a bit too late, but we we shall see. There's still quite a lot of points to play for, which is why mm. I don't think we should sort of rule anybody out just yet. On Saturday on TalkSport 2, we had live commentary of Brentford against Crystal Palace. I mean, if we could have our picks again, we might not have uh, commentary of that game. Uh, but after six defeats in a row, it was important for Brentford not to lose. And they didn't. It wasn't the most inspiring game, but they walked away with a point. Crookie. Yeah, and I think it's a good point uh, when you look at the fact that, that Norwich and Watford have, have both been beaten. I think it's another point closer to Premier League survival. Um, I, I think there was a big incident in this game I think it was a penalty I think it was handballed by Gay Heat he was claimed... there, were, there were two there were no, two big incidents in the game yeah I wasn't sure about the Zaha one I don't think that was a penalty but I thought that the Brentford penalty should have been given obviously that the officials claimed that there was a, a nudge that led to Gay Heat handling the ball I don't think there was enough contact to make him put his arm above his head and, and, and almost pat it away so I, I think they can feel hard done, hard done by the Zaha one not for me went down too easy Oh, the Zaha one for me, I felt as if Rico Henry was like trying to mount him, Darren, and his arms around his waist and everything. I know, it's just so bizarre how um, some of these, you know, I don't know what goes through a player's mind when he does that. I mean, you're asking me about Cresswell and what went through his mind, but at least that was, you could argue, possibly instinctive. Instinctive, yeah. Yeah, this was just ridiculous, and I don't know how... Um, a player believes that he can do that and not be penalised for it. 
Do you think that um, Zaha didn't get his penalty because he's Wilfred Zaha and he's always moaning at referees and does go down occasionally a bit too easily? That's the sort of reputation that he's got. Do you think maybe the referee was sort of acting on reputation rather than the isolated incident? Because I'm, I'm sorry, if you put your hands and your arms around the waist of an attacker, I mean, even if you don't have that much contact, when they're challenging for the ball, you can't do that. I think it happens all the time that that type of contact happens at every set piece. And I, I think Zaha, listen, if, if Wolf Zaha is not getting penalty awards because he's got a reputation and a history of going down too easy, tough, quite frankly, because he is a player who goes down too easy. Uh, and therefore, I think it's about time officials stamped it out. I just didn't see that as a penalty. We'll agree to disagree is on this. Blo- is Alex Cook a bloke you'd like? to go to a pub with on Sunday night or would you if he was sitting in the corner when you walked into the pub walk straight back out Darren I actually think that <laughs> the reason Alex Crook is so angry is because he would have supported Zaha wholeheartedly if he either played for Bournemouth played for Southampton <laughs> or played under Eddie Howe yeah or or he was playing for Manchester United under Pochettino Gentlemen, thank you very much for your uh, time this evening, this morning. Happy Valentine's Day to both of you. It's been lovely to experience a bit of time with you on this wonderful evening. Uh, Crookie, you can go back and, uh, you know, punch the wall or something. Well, or I've got, relieve I've got, your frustration I've got a little Valentine's poem for, you, poem for you, actually. Have you? Roses are red. Yeah, you're being romantic. Yeah, roses are red. Violets are blue. United are rubbish. Sadly, we know it's true. What's the, what's the what's the what's the prize for poetry? I can't remember. It's not the Booker one or the Turner one, is it? What is it? I think you're right up there, though. It's got my I think name you're right on up it. there. Maybe certainly has. Yeah, crook. <laughs> It'd have to if you if you got hold of it because you would have stolen it. Right, okay. Crooker prize. Um, hey. The crooker prize. <laughs> oh yeah. I tell you what, the Crooker Prize is. The Crooker Prize is for the uh, journalist who uh, espouses the most contradictions over the course of a, a season. Uh, right, okay. Um, Crookie, thank you very much. We're back with you Thursday afternoon as we uh, preview all the weekend's action in the Premier League. Darren, I think we'll see you at the same time, won't we? Really Looking indeed. forward to that. Uh, keep downloading the Game Day podcast. Remember, there's loads coming up on TalkSport this week. We're in the middle of a run of nine days of live footballing action. And you know that you can access everything on our TalkSport app. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.